This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. So you own your own business. Got small ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Got medium ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Who has medium ambitions? You got big ambitions. If you're a growing business with big ambitions, you want to grow with Granger. Granger has the products, the services, and more importantly, the commitment you need. Total commitment. If you're a growing business, Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are The Great Ones, presented by Rotowire. Here we are on October 6th, recording our fourth and final preseason episode as we complete our season previews of all 30 NHL teams. Andrew, we're only days away from the start of the regular season, and we're both very anxious for that startup, aren't we? Well, personally, I'm not anxious to see the Rangers get off to their typically slow start, but I am stoked to have my fantasy teams get going. I'm running four leagues this year. How about you, Paul? I'm a little light this year. I'm, I'm in two and waiting for the third one to get their draft room set up, so it'll be three right. probably for me. Coming down to the last minute. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Today's show, we will focus on the Pacific Division, Andrew, a grouping that I think will provide the most fighting highlights as a number of these teams signed or retained a noted league heavyweight. So that's something that you can look for on the daily highlight packages if that's your thing. Aside from this fact, a number of these teams are also capable of playing it very tough, but very fair. Let's start with a team that has gone deep into the last two playoffs, only to be eliminated by the eventual cup champs. That's the Anaheim Ducks. They look to be equipped to go far once again. This group of forwards really fell into place as the top line was built around the dynamic duo of Perry and Getzlaff with a second unit featuring Ryan Kessler. Andrew, let's talk about how they choose to fill those lines out as well as other impact forwards here. This is a Ducks team to me that's strong in a lot of places, but not on the left wing. I'm concerned, Paul, about who they're going to use to join the Perry Getzlaff duo and the Kessler Silverberg duo. You know, those are two really good duos, but top line is three guys. So I've always been a big fan of Silverberg's game. I think he's going to blow up this year. But on that left wing, the current answers appear to be. Patrick Maroon and Carl Hagelin, and I just don't think that that's a recipe for success on your top two lines. Sure, from a fantasy perspective, maybe those guys are going to come along for the ride 
maybe get a few more points, be a little more valuable than they were last year. But ultimately, these are third-line players to me who are going to be playing a lot of top six minutes on a team that's expected to win a lot of games. Maroon's gritty and tough, but Perry and Getzlaff aren't exactly incapable of standing up for themselves, and his offense leaves a lot to be desired outside of the playoffs where he seems to turn it on. I saw a lot of haggling with the Rangers. He's one of the fastest skaters in the league, plays smart defense, great penalty killer, but he's not a particularly good passer, and his shot is weak. <laughs> then they've got Andrew Cogliano, also the picture of a third liner, and Gary Sekak. His game still needs to make strides before he's ready for big minutes. I kind of share your assessment there on the fillers for those top two lines, but Maroon looked better to me as the season progressed, and in the playoffs certainly he showed very well playing his best hockey of the season. And I'm kind of expecting him to pick up where he left off just because of the familiarity between those uh, those three players toward the end of the season. So I'm looking for him to crack the 40-point mark for the first time in his career. That's not what you want from your top liner, I grant you. But I think he's going to be improving as the season progresses. And if you're looking for a guy late in the draft, again, I invoke my sidekick theory and look no further than a guy like this who's playing with a dynamic duo. Hagelin is a guy I know you'd be down on him because he left your beloved Rangers, but I like his speed, and I think he will benefit from the ability Ryan Kessler has to open up the ice and be a setup guy. So I look for that duo to combine very, very well. And I'm interested in how Chris Stewart fits into this mix. This is a guy who was a power forward who came onto the NHL scene and put up a 28-goal season very early in his career, and I think is another guy who might be in the mix for top six or at least third-line role with an upside on the scoring side of things. This is a guy who may eventually rise up into their roster and be a factor there. So they do have options, and I think I have to mention the fighter guy on this team, Brian McGratton. If your pool is all about penalty minutes, this is a guy who's going to get over 100 easily, and he'll be involved in some of those highlights that I was talking about at the outset. We look at the blue line group, Andrew. Semi Vatanen emerged as the top offensive guy last season. But they have other options in Hampus Lindholm, who led the Ducks with a plus 25 and produced 34 points. That's great numbers if he can replicate it for Pooleys out there. A guy that I also like is Cam Fowler, who was also very skilled offensively, a former high draft pick, and a third great option offensively. These guys are going to be joined by a new addition, but an old guy in Kevin Bieksa. Where do you see him fitting in and this whole defensive unit shaking out? Vatnin's a longtime favorite of mine, and I think after last year's 37 points in 67 games, this year he plays a full season and blows past 50 points easily. I'm also very intrigued by Simone Dupre, the young defender they picked up from the Penguins last year. This is a guy with a nice combination of skill, strength, passing ability. I think he's going to be an asset for the Ducks on the power play. Stopping pucks behind them. We've got Frederick Anderson with Anton Kudobin, not John Gibson, as the backup. Gibson's going to play full-time minutes in the AHL instead. I think that's a smart move for his development. We've been talking about him a few years. It's easy to forget. He's still just 22. The fact that he's in the minors opens the door for Anderson to approach 60 starts this year, I think, because Kudobin's not likely to mount a major challenge. And you know what? Anderson was really good to me in fantasy, and I want to speak about his emergence as the number one guy unchallenged by John Gibson, and Kudobin's a 2B option in terms of goaltending depth around fantasy circles. So if you can grab Anderson later than most other goalies who are going to play as much as him, I think he'll be rewarded handsomely by the end of the season. So a guy to keep your eye on for sure. 
Well, let's look at another team that's high up in the alphabet, the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> that's the only place that they're high up, That's right. And uh, I think we're going to have to focus on the fact that they have a couple of youngsters who are going to make the grade this year, where they're pinning a lot of hopes on them early. We talked about how it was smart for Anaheim to stick a goalie in the minors for a year or two. They're not going that route with a couple of guys who I expect to make the grade right off the hop, Max Domi and Anthony Duclair. Both excelled in junior, and they look NHL-ready to me, and this team is looking for them to make an impact right away. The franchise needs to push them to generate a local buzz because of all the off-ice issues with this club. Tobias Reeder is another guy who needs to build on his impactful debut last season. This guy had 189 shots, Andrew, second on the Coyotes club outright. They welcome Antoine Vermette. And I guess a lot of guys are going to be ogling his Stanley Cup ring that he acquired with Chicago. And big Martin Hansel gives them two experienced guys at center. What do you like about this group and other names you'll be tracking among the forwards in Arizona? I think this is going to be a rough situation from a fantasy perspective. There's not a single Coyotes forward, really, that I would want to own in a standard 12-team sort of format. That includes Mikel Bodker, Max Domi, and Anthony Duclair, guys that I really like, especially for keeper leagues. But even if they have nice seasons this year by Arizona standards... They're projected to be major liabilities in plus-minus, and it's hard to go and forecast more than about 50 points for them, which is a little fringy for your shallow, kind of standard fantasy format. There's at least a little more to like on the blue line, in that you've got Oliver ekman Larson, who scored 38 goals the last two seasons, and at 24 years old, his game has still got a lot of room to grow, especially now that he's got a couple more interesting forwards to pass the puck to. Michael Stone and Connor Murphy have some upside too on that blue line, but in a longer-term sense, I think. Are you seeing anything different here, Paul? No, I don't. The only other guy who may have some offensive upside down the road is Dahlback on that blue line, but otherwise you've covered off all the other names. And then it comes down to the goaltending here. And Mike Smith, this guy should get a purple heart, Andrew, for the work that he does behind such a porous team. And yet he, year in, year out, seems to be a guy that people look at and pencil in 60 starts. You can do that once again simply because they don't have a viable backup Anders Lindback is behind him, but this guy is nothing more than a guy that can play 15 or 20 games before he gets exposed. So again, the pressure's on Mike Smith to deliver what he can, but you're right. This team is going to be a bottom feeder in the league, and I don't see much of a fantasy upside. It might be one of those that I strike an X through once I get past the two youngsters and OEL on the blue line there. Lindback there to pick up the scraps, but it might just be all scraps in Arizona this year. But let's move on to a much more promising team in the Calgary Flames. This is a team coming off a surprising bust-out last year, which was powered in large part by the blue line. But I'd like to start by talking about the forwards, because this is a team with a great top line in Sean Monahan, Yuri Hoodler, and Johnny Goodrow, Johnny Hockey, who took the league by storm last year and should only get better and better as he gets started on what I expect to be an outstanding career. He might be one of the smallest guys in the league, Johnny Hockey, but he's going to make a big footprint in the scoring races to come, I think, this year and going forward. I do think things are a little weaker from there, though. Even with Goudreau in his line, I think Hudler's in for a serious regression after he exploded for 76 points last year at age 30. I love Monaghan. I love Sam Bennett. But otherwise, things look a little iffy on the depth lines. Are there some guys you like there, Paul, that I didn't hit on? Well, one guy is a fighter guy, and I forgot to mention John Scott for Anaheim. He's going to be also in the highlight reels, and he might take on Lance Booma in a few scraps. Lance Booma, though, is more of a scorer than any of the scrappers that I mentioned so far, and he showed well down the stretch last year to reach the 16-goal mark. And if he can up the ante a little bit and get more time in the top six, maybe at the expense of a guy like Yuri Hoodler, 
I think you'd see a very valuable power forward type emerge here. So that's one guy up front that we should mention in passing at least. The blue line here is stacked, Andrew. It's too bad that TJ Brody may be out for a few weeks. Otherwise, I would be very confident in suggesting the Flames have no fewer than four D-men who will score 50 or more points this season. Giordano is back and healthy. Weidman was a power play force last year. And, of course, Dougie Hamilton, new face, comes over from Boston with all kinds of potential. Andrew, am I overrating any of these guys? And can anybody else challenge for ice time among the top four here? I don't think you are overrating them, but especially with Brody Hurt, I think we're going to see a healthy dose of Chris Russell, whose offensive games really come around over the last two years. I mean, this is a guy who blocked 283 shots. Now, that's a lot of bruises last year. And yet he still found time to put up 34 points, with 14 of them on the power play. I really like him, but it's Dougie Hamilton who I'm really looking toward for a big-time bust-out after he signed a big contract with Calgary over the offseason. One thing I don't like is this team's goaltending. The Flames may like to look at this as a 1-1A situation, but I think it's more like a 1-B and 2-A situation. Hiller's a low-end starting goalie. He's good for about 50 games. Rama's a good backup. That's about it. It adds up to a decent number of regular season wins, but I think they're still missing that game-stealing goalie that this franchise really needs to take that next step and be a legit Stanley Cup contender. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? Well, well, Andrew, one of the things that I do in preparing for these shows is I take a look at all the fantasy magazines that I can get my hands on. And the opinion on this goaltending tandem is really one that I highlight here for these purposes. I get so many different and such a wide variance in, in opinions. I see from Vezina candidate for Hiller to a guy who will lose his job. And in fact, Ramo is going to get the opening start on opening night for Calgary. It's been announced. So that should tell uh, some of our listeners that, that this goaltending situation is up in the air. Ramo and Hiller are both in the final year of their contracts. There's a four-year difference in age with Ramo being the younger guy. So all signs pointed to me to grab this guy in a late round as a goalie who I'm using as a third stringer on my team. But he could surprise with the number of starts that he gets. And that may be the value here between the two of them. Now, staying in Alberta, we look at the Edmonton Oilers. There's a heck of a lot of excitement here as they unveil the league's top draft pick in the most recent draft, Connor McDavid. He's being branded as a can't-miss guy at the same time as many, many recent drafts around the league. They go straight back to junior or into the AHL in a few other situations. I think this guy's a can't-miss, and he should definitely be a front-runner in the Calder Trophy race, Andrew. Where do you stand on the whole Connor McDavid expectations? I think there's no doubt that McDavid's a generational player, but in case I'm not yet on the record saying it, I think Jack Eichel is going to have a better career than Connor McDavid. Wow. There it is. It's on the record. Wow. It can't be taken back. <laughs> another dollar Another dollar bet here. <laughs> we, start, we should really start writing these down. It's going to be a real pain going back through these and trying to find all our bets. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm not taking anything away from McDavid. He's the total package, clearly the top Canadian prospect since Sidney Crosby. And if you look at McDavid's scoring rate last year in juniors, it's only a little bit lower than Crosby's was in his final junior season. It's not at all crazy to think that McDavid could come out and score 80 points as a rookie. Well, we should remind our listeners that they do have other high-profile forwards here. It's not just about Mr. McDavid. It's important to note that one who I like, Jordan Eberle, is on the IR for up to six weeks with a shoulder injury. What a shame. This guy is a real heady hockey player, a guy with a great hockey IQ, in my opinion. I was looking forward to the opportunity to see him play with McDavid and Taylor Hall, who will be on the other wing. This could be a dynamic unit, all first-round picks, all high first-round picks. But they've also sent down Leon Dreisaitl, another 
first round pick. A good move in my opinion because his development has not risen on the same trajectory as some of their other players and so certainly some of the others in that draft. So who else do you think is going to play top six minutes here? There's a tough Luke Gadzik out there who sure won't be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you love those fighters in this division. I got to mention one for each team in this group. Absolutely. I'm personally happy they sent your saddle down, and, and it has nothing to do with him as a hockey player. It has entirely to do with the fact that I had to make the tough choice of not keeping him in the Rotowire Staff Keeper League. And then I heard some rumblings last week that he'd stick around and play with McDavid, which would have really had me kicking myself. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty glad that he's down in the AHL instead of that happening, or otherwise I'd look like a real jabroni. But <laughs> this is a team that's been bad for a long time, and so they're stacked with these former number one picks. Taylor Hall, you mentioned, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Neil Yakupov, all top picks in their draft classes. It's entirely a matter of health for Hall, I think. He and McDavid are going to make magic on that top line if he can stay on the ice, and that's been an issue for Hall throughout his career so far since he went number one in that draft over Tyler Sagan. I do think Ryan Nugent Hopkins is going to really benefit from getting the pressure of being the number one center taken off him. It's nice for him to play the second line, but it does hurt him and everyone else that Everly, the young star on the right wing, is out for the season's first month with that shoulder injury. Paul, you want to uh, go ahead and, and start talking about some Oilers defenders? Boy, this is this is a tough part because I don't see a lot of value here. I'm going to shock some people by saying they signed Andrew Sakara to a big deal, six years, $33 million, a huge mistake in my opinion. They're also touting 22-year-old Oscar Kleffbaum, who really hasn't had a lot of top four time. He had an ordinary rookie campaign last season. Justin Schultz, a third guy who was long touted as a guy with some high offensive upside, though he disappointed in that area last year as well. They've already assigned promising Darnell Nurse to the AHL. Eventually, this guy's going to be the linchpin, but he's not going to be an impact guy this year. I think this season, this defensive core could be awful, Andrew. I've long been a huge Justin Schultz guy. This is a guy who was an offensive dynamo in college, a spectacular scorer in the AHL. But so far in the NHL, uh, he hasn't exceeded 33 points in any of his first two seasons. I see that changing in a big way this year with the addition of McDavid and, more importantly, a new coach in Todd McClellan, who I think is going to help Schultz play a little less selfishly, and that's going to, paradoxically in his mind, result in a lot more points. I do think the big-ticket signing of Andre Sakara is a mystery. They pay, they're paying him a lot of money. I think it's amazing that he was able to capitalize on his one good season, which was two years ago, even after he only scored 23 points last year. Uh, I find it hard to expect him rebounding anywhere better than the low 30s. And I think my hopes are higher for uh, 22-year-old Oscar Kleffbaum, who got a season of NHL experience under his belt last year, made noticeable strides with his game, which I expect to continue this season. What about the goalies here, Paul? The Oilers have turned their netminders over completely. They picked up Cam Talbot from my Rangers. They brought Anders Nilsson back to the NHL from Russia. Well, I really like Anders Nilsson, and this is a fourth goalie that I picked up late in my draft, and a lot of guys were wondering why I did so, but it bears out to say today that he is on the opening night roster, and he is the backup goalie, and he's going to get a larger share of the net than people think, I think, before this is all said and done. Certainly, he could really push Talbot, who has never been a number one guy in the NHL. Talbot, for his part, though, and you know this as well as anybody else, he played extremely well for the Rangers last year at a time when they needed him to come through for a string of games after your buddy Lundqvist took a shot in the throat and was out for an extended period of time. But Nelson is a big body.
body goalie, 6'5", 230 pounds, who had great numbers in the KHL, and I thought that it was worth a shot, and it's pushed Ben Scrivens to the waiver wire, and I wonder where he's going to wind up. But the top two goalies, I think, are going to split time here, and they could each pile up some unexpected wins on the depth part of your roster. Yeah, definitely a big campaign for Nielsen in the KHL last year. 1.71 goals against and 936 save percentage. Huge numbers. Let's segue into the LA Kings, team that missed the playoffs last year after winning Stanley Cups two of the prior three seasons. They got rid of Mike Richards, which I think at this point in his career is addition by subtraction. And they brought in Milan Lucic to add some size and grit along Anze Kopitar and Marion Gabrick on the top line. He has not had a great preseason. He only had one point in five games. But still just 27 years old. I like the change of scenery for him after things kind of seem to stagnate a little in Boston. And his teachings may help advance the career of another tough left wing the Kings have in the fold, Kyle Clifford. A guy who I think has it in him to find a little more offense than he has so far in his young career. But my favorite King, bar none, is Tyler Toffoli, the 23-year-old right wing who put up 49 points last year. I think that he's only scratching the surface of his full potential. This is a guy who cleared 100 points twice in juniors, was a point-per-game scorer in the AHL. I think his skill level is extraordinarily high, and people do not quite realize it yet in fantasy circles. This team has a number of tough guys. I've got to highlight two on this team. Lucic certainly is one. Kyle Clifford, another one. And they're both very capable scorers. So if power forwards are heavily regarded in your pools, that's two guys you've got to look at very early on in your drafts. Then we spling to the blue line here to talk about a group that is led by a fantasy stud, Drew Doughty. This guy, I think, should be in the Norris conversation on an annual basis, and I think he will be the guy that gets it this season. That's how much I expect from him. But don't sleep on his sidekick. Again, the sidekick theory rears its head. Jake Muzzin, who's a distant relative of my wife, actually, got to get that note in for her because she's listening. He emerged from Doughty's shadow to score 10 goals and 41 points last year. He'll play a ton again this year with a regular shift on the power play as well, the top unit. Alec Martinez and Braden McNabb can also be very productive in a second pairing on offense. Andrew, your thoughts about this King's blue line? Yeah, I do like Muzzin like you. Uh, I'm not related to him, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know, Doughty reminds me in a way of Duncan Keith, fantasy-wise as a guy who's a big name on the blue line, but actually doesn't have the most amazing track record of performance. Doughty is widely considered one of the top blue liners in the league, and he is. But we're talking about a guy who hasn't come close to approaching the 59 points that he put up when he was 19 in the 2009-10 season. Last year's 46 points were actually his highest total since that season. And as a guy who doesn't put up a crazy high plus-minus or great pim. All in all, Doughty's a little bit of an overrated fantasy commodity to me. What do you think about that, Paul? I'm so glad. I want to be in a draft with you because I want to pick him and I want to show you at the end of the year that I'm right and you're wrong, pal. <laughs> what, are, what are we looking at for points here? This could be another dollar. I'm saying... Got an, got I'm an over say, under? I'm going to say over 50. I'll take the under. Excellent. Another buck. Are we talking... You could put it on the board. Are you talking Canadian or American? <laughs> uh, it depends on where we are when we settle the bet. Excellent. Uh, Jonathan Quick is so entrenched in the nets here, uh, Andrew, that Martin Jones was dealt away just as former backup Jonathan Bernier was before him. Quick has two cups on his resume and will thrive again with the ability to play up to 70 games here and should be regarded as a very high-end goalie option on a team that I think is going to go far this year. Jonas Enroth is a capable backup. He's shown very well in previous starts, but he won't get to play that much here. Don't you agree? That's right. 
Enroth's a bit of a weak backup in truth, but he won't be asked to do a whole lot with Quick. Pretty likely to take at least 65 starts, health permitting. Speaking of that ex-king Martin Jones, let's move on to his new team, the San Jose Sharks. We'll talk about Jones, who I really like in a minute, but this is also a team with a new coach in Pete DeBoer, who was fired by the Devils in the midst of that franchise's tailspin, and he enters an interesting situation. Joe Thornton had a very contentious relationship with uh, GM Doug Wilson. They're saying that's all behind them now, but the things that were said there don't just get forgotten. And Thornton lost his captaincy last year. He's wearing the A this year, Joe Pavelski donning the C. The top two lines on this team, though, I think are chock full of fantasy intrigue, with Pavelski and Logan Couture sure to be early selections in any fantasy draft. The aging vets Thornton and Marlowe still highly productive. But there's an infusion of youth here, too. The Sharks really like their Finnish rookie, Junis Donskoy, who might play on the first line right out of camp. And everyone really likes Tomas Hurdle, who's looked really good in his transition to center. But because he's playing center, looks like he's going to be stuck with third line ice time. Paul, your read on the Sharks forwards. Well, I'm going to surprise people by some people by saying hurdle i expect him to play top six minutes at the expense of one joe thornton i think he's primed to be one of the biggest busts this year because of the tensions that you mentioned i think it's gotten to him and he's just playing going to play out the string and i think he's going to be at a bit of a head case this year for them that's how bad i think things could turn at the top end of this roster and hurdle is a guy who came on burst onto the scene here and in, in fits and starts he's shown to be really really solid in long stretches. I think he's going to get a chance to take up that big role before this season plays out. So that's the highlight reel comment that I have on, on the forward side here. And the, in terms of the tough guys that I want to look at, friend of the show, this guy, I had him targeted to be one of the early guests on the show, Rafi Torres. He's going to have a lot of extra time all of a sudden, Andrew, because of the suspension that he got. And I think we got to talk a little bit about what do you think about that hit. My opinion may not come across as objective, but I didn't see it as one of the most egregious offenses that I've ever seen in terms of the the hits that wind up to be suspendable. Certainly 41 games to me looks excessive. I actually haven't seen the hit, but obviously Torres is a guy with a reputation, right? To be making those kinds of hits, you know, going after a guy's head in the preseason, I think is particularly egregious. And probably if the NHL had its way, they would suspend Rafi Torres for the rest of his career <laughs> because I don't know if there's another guy who's more unwelcome in the league right now. Well, you're right about that. And to, to finish my comments on the forwards, Patrick Marlowe's a guy that is near the end of his career, and his point totals are going to suffer just as well as, as long as Thornton doesn't play up to par. I think those two guys, their fortunes are going to travel on a downward spiral for the next year or two as long as they remain in the league. Joel Ward's a guy that I like a lot. He's getting up there in years. I think this guy is going to add some muscle to this team, but he's also a guy who can be a factor on the power play, and I think he kind of has a shot to sneak into top six minutes here and could be an impact player if you're rewarded with power play points and penalty minutes. I love this guy on the lower part of my roster. But we have to turn to the defense here as well, Andrew. This is a unit that I think that certainly... Burns is a guy who rates mention among the top defenders in the league. Can he be a guy that gets as many points as he did last season? I'm not sure. Some of the preseason previews that I've seen have put him up to as many 60 points, others as low as 40, and it's his position designation that also makes him attractive too, because in some pools this guy can be a forward, and other times he can be forward defenseman, and other times a defenseman. So that's another consideration that I want to highlight with respect to him. Beyond that, the depth chart drops 
precipitously. Justin Braun, Mark Edward Vlasic, Paul Martin, these are guys who are all capable of some power play time, but I think, again, they're not a grade one offensive options on the blue line, and I want to know what you think about those comments. I'm pretty much right with you there. DeBoer is a defensively-oriented coach. And he comes in here with a really great group of defensive-minded blue liners to work with. As you mentioned, the Sharks brought in Paul Martin. They had Vlasi, Brendan Dillon, Justin Braun. I think Burns is going to be good for 50-plus points. I think that he's the second-best offensive defenseman in the NHL behind Eric Carlson. And I'd be interested to see if you would like to contradict that. No, but I, yeah, I'm going to say you're right on the money. Other than that, I don't think you're going to get anything pretty much out of these Sharks defensemen. I think this goalie situation is going to be one that I see as a bit of a question mark. Martin Jones was brought in to be the new number one. Career backup behind Quick in LA, as we mentioned. He got most of the exhibition work here, though, and played very, very well. And he should get most of the early work. But I wonder what they're going to expect out of the goalie split here. Alex Stalock has been here for a while in reserve and may play a little bit more than other people expect. In my view, this is like a 55, 28, or 27 game split here, I think, Andrew. Two-thirds to one-third for Martin Jones. What do you think? I'm expecting a lot from Martin Jones. I think he's a solid upgrade over Antti Niemi, whose game was really flagging. And Jones is going to be able to carry the load for the first time in his career. Stalock is a career backup sort of goalie. I have a hard time seeing him push Jones for playing time. When you look at the numbers that Corey Schneider put up under Pete DeBoer, I think that offers a lot of promise as far as what we can look for from Martin Jones this year. Well, that brings us to the 30th and final team that we'll preview in our first four shows, the Vancouver Canucks. Andrew, I have some concerns about the age of this team's leadership. Beginning up front, the Sedin Twins turned 35 last week and are still counted on to lead this offense. Radim Verbata, who's 34, was riding shotgun with them and likely to round out that unit once again. Alex Burrows will be a second option, who's played a lot with the Sedin Twins. He'll be in the top six, and he may flip-flop with Verbata as well. So who rounds out their other options from your perspective up front, Andrew? The Canucks signed Brandon Sutter to a five-year contract over this offseason with the intent, when they signed him, of making him their second-line center. I think that's a mistake. I think Sutter is a third-line type of player, and he's going to end up being supplanted for that second-line role by one Bo Horvat. You may have heard of Horvat as the number nine overall pick in 2013. Played 68 games with the Canucks last year. Picked up 25 points. I think he's going to see a big jump in that. He's going to end up near 50 points this year playing on the second line and really giving the Canucks a second scoring line. But at the same time, yeah, I do think I see the Sedins fading. They did bounce back a little last year. I think they were happy to be free of John Tortorella, as everyone always is. <laughs> Another Ranger reference. It's not my fault that John Tortorella coached the Rangers. <laughs> we're trying to forget about it now. It's in the past. <laughs> But I don't see a whole lot else to like among this forward group. I do like Sven Berchi. He's been doing some good work in the preseason, had five assists in six games. It seems like they're going to have to count on him to jump in there and fill a second-line left-wing role, uh, which is a, a big step for him. It's something that he hasn't done to this point in his career. So we'll see how that works out. He does have terrific upside, former number one pick, 13th overall by the Flames a few years back. Maybe I'll transition over to the blue line here. There's not a whole lot to love here. You've got Alexander Edler coming off the worst plus-minus season ever. Was it the worst plus-minus ever that he put up? It's pretty high. No question (laughs) about that. (laughs) But then bounced back with a plus-13 last year. Put up 31 points. Respectable. But he seems to be about the biggest producer on this blue line. 
And it's funny you mention that name because in the last draft that I had, Andrew, he wasn't even picked in 21 rounds. And I'm going to snap him up in free agency as soon as our league allows us to because he's going to play a lot of power play time. And if there's one thing that Zadines can do, it's still score and make people look bad with the man advantage. And Edler is the guy that used to get a lot of that time last year, and I expect him to be by far the guy that plays the most minutes as the de facto power play quarterback there. Yannick Weber's a guy with a great shot, could be his partner on the blue line if they choose to go with two D-men back there. It's a good setup and shoot situation at the end of that blue line, but beyond that, the likes of Dan Hanhus and Chris Tanev don't excite me at all, so I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about guys who aren't going to get drafted. Do you? Absolutely not. (laughs) What about your goalie split? Well, I think we're going to see a good amount of Ryan Miller here. He is 35 years old, but assuming he can stay healthy, which you know, something that was an issue last season, we're, we're probably going to see a return to about 60 starts for Miller with Jacob Markstrom serving as his backup. I've always really liked Markstrom, good prospect. 25 years old, he's getting to that point of put up or shut up. I'm hopeful to see him get in you know, a good 20, 25 games with the Canucks this year and start to deliver on some of that promise. Well, I think this is shaping up as a last hurrah season for the core of this team that I mentioned off the top of this preview. I agree with your assessment about Miller. This is a guy who can win a lot of games by himself, hence the high number of shutouts last year that brings him into almost the top half of the league in terms of goalies that I looked at in in drafts this year. I picked him in one of them as my second goalie, and I think it's going to pay off big. But Andrew, it's prediction time once again. I look at the final standings like this, and I'm kind of curious to hear what you think. Top to bottom, I think this is going to be a lot of toughness, as I mentioned. That's going to be highlight reel stuff in the fighting things, but fighting side. But I do see a lot of talent in this division. I think the Stanley Cup is going to be won from the division winner. I'm not saying who it is just yet. It's not going to be the team that I pick first, oddly enough. I picked the Anaheim Ducks to win this division. I picked their cross-state rivals from Los Angeles Kings to be second. Calgary Flames third. Vancouver Canucks fourth. Then Edmonton Oilers fifth. San Jose Sharks sixth. Arizona Coyotes challenging my Leafs for the top draft pick. I do think the Coyotes will be the worst team in the league. Uh, they, they, the Leafs, and the Devils will all battle it out in a vortex of terribleness. <laughs> and I get to see a lot of it up close as a season ticket holder here. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that takes real commitment to be a season ticket holder for the Leafs. Hey, I've sold half my games already. <laughs> what about the top end of the division? I reluctantly... Just, I, I tell you, that left-wing situation on Anaheim, it makes me really reluctant to put them in first place, but there's just not another team that I think is as good as the Ducks. they got to finish first. Second place, I'm actually taking your sixth-place team. Wow. I'm going to put the San Jose Sharks in second place in this division. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. Another buck. <laughs> Third place, I like Calgary. I like them a little bit more than the Kings, so I'm going to put in fourth. Vancouver, fifth. Edmonton, sixth. And, of course the Coyotes occupying the space below the cellar. We're a day before the opening night, Andrew. Who's your Stanley Cup team? Am I allowed to be a homer, or am I supposed to not be a homer? Be as objective as you want to be. (laughs) (laughs) I think the Rangers have a legit chance at the Cup. I think Nashville has a legit chance at the Cup. I think Chicago has a legit chance at another Cup. I'm not comfortable picking just one team. I think that At this point in the season, there's no clear favorite. I'm going to be a little more definite. I'm going to say Tampa in the East, and then Stamkos comes to Toronto at the end of the season with a Stanley Cup ring, unless the Los Angeles Kings 
get their third Stanley Cup in the last seven years as well to tie Chicago as the second team to do that in the modern salary cap era. So L.A., Tampa, sunshine will be glowing on the Stanley Cup at the end of the year, I think. That brings us to the end of this preview, Andrew, and we're ready for the regular season with our next show. Now we look forward to the serious shooting that begins tomorrow night with the dawn of the NHL's 2015-16 season. We can't wait. This is Paul Bruno on behalf of my co-host Andrew Fiorentino signing off for the great ones, Roto-Wire's Fantasy Hockey Show. We invite you to circle back and join us on our next show as we start to cover regular season storylines, add guests to our mix, and plan other segments to help meet your fantasy hockey needs. So long from the great ones. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.